Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. My guest today is going to delineate the divides, disaffection, and distrust unfolding in America right now through two issues he addressed during his recent run for governor of Oklahoma. One is the loss of personal freedom and choice imposed by government and other agencies with respect to the COVID pandemic and COVID vaccines. The other is what to do about the epidemic of school shootings. As a naturopathic doctor, Mark Sherwood and his wife, Michelle, who is an osteopath, have, he says, successfully treated many COVID patients from their Functional Medicine Institute in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They did, Dr. Sherwood says, come under criticism for countermanding government-mandated distancing and treatment protocols. Before becoming a naturopathic doctor, Sherwood worked for the Tulsa Police Department, including serving for 10 years on a SWAT team, giving him insight into criminal minds and protocols for dealing with and profiling the armed and dangerous. A devout Christian, Dr. Sherwood ran for governor of Oklahoma out of deep concern for the direction the U.S. is going in and how his fellow Oklahomans have been affected. He lost, but his heightened profile has attracted attention and some may be dismayed by an offer he has received, one indicating just how alienated some residents of his state truly are. He'll be talking about that too in this interview, which began with me telling him why I thought he was an interesting guest. What's interesting to me about you is that you're a naturopath doctor and you treat a lot of COVID patients and you also were a police officer at some point and spent 10 years on a SWAT team, which is pretty hardcore. So that sort of makes you uniquely qualified as a candidate for governor to address two issues that we're going to talk about today. One is the COVID pandemic and the policies surrounding it and this new WHO pandemic treaty. And the other one is a plan that you have devised to address school shootings. I want to start with COVID. On your website, you have an article that you wrote that is titled No Mandatory Masks, Vaccines, Vaccine Passports, or Lockdowns. Talk about what inspired you to write that and what you wrote about those things. When I saw what was happening with our country, when people were told to lock down, wear a mask, and put something in their arm, I quickly that that would be against some people's will. Now, some people are like fine with that, some people aren't. And I realized that coupled with the idea of freedom, that that violated the idea of freedom. So that was a constitutional violation in my opinion. And we as a clinic thought that we could do better than that. So we decided to draw the line and say, we're not gonna do this. We're not gonna cooperate with that. And we saw people that got well on our end. Um, they, thousands of people we treated, thousands and thousands, uh, whether vaccinated or not, they all got better. And it was like so profound because we were treating the comorbidities that are so talked about. We were reversing type two diabetes, we we're reversing high blood pressure. We were putting the body into a very um, resilient state by consuming uh, anti-inflammatory foods, avoiding 
processed foods, exercise and getting outside and sleeping and staying on the media. And so we saw all that happen and things got better. And it was interesting when we couldn't get any news coverage on this. You know, we had this, what we thought was a good protocol. How long into the pandemic did you start realizing there are reports that hospitals are filled with people on ventilators and here yeah. I am treating these COVID people. Probably a month and a half and we started to see studies come out like, um, uh, you know, I saw shortages in the antidepressant Zoloft and I thought, okay, wait a minute, we're seeing an increase in depression and obviously that would infer me to believe there's an increase in prescription. So. And so about a month and a half in, we began to look at studies on the initial outbreak in New York City. And we saw a very interesting one that stuck with me very, the very beginning step of the way. It was the correlation with vitamin D levels and hospitalization. We found that in that study, it was thousands of people, that if a vitamin D level that we check in blood, 25 hydroxy D, was 30 or more, a person only had a 10% likelihood of being hospitalized. And so we already knew that, and we run our vitamin D levels that we run, preferably between 60 and about 90 or 100. So we already knew that going in, and we started to see that the treatment plan that people were doing, you know, pushing oxygen into lungs that were already sort of clouded up and gummed up was not the right answer. People were dying, and we saw people that would go on the vent wouldn't get off. And so we thought, okay, let's keep people out of that scenario as best we can and keep them home with loved ones and keep them treated. And about a month and a half in, we'd probably seen over a thousand people because, you know, everybody was kind of in a state of upheaval. And so that's about the time that we had news reporters that actually came to our clinic as patients back in that day. I called them and I said, hey, I've got a good story. Would you please run this? And they were not allowed to do it. And that was completely, on one respect, demoralizing. On the other respect, very enlightening. Because I realized at that point, something bigger than just a COVID viral pandemic is going on. There was a propaganda-driven mission of some sort. I didn't really know what it was at that point. Can you talk about which reporting outlets these reporters came from? Yeah, absolutely. It was the news stations right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, KTUL, and uh, it was one that really went right through me. And so I'll call them out. They wouldn't run the story, uh, nor would Channel 6 in Tulsa, nor would Channel 2 in Tulsa, nor would Fox 23 in Tulsa. And it's not cool by me. You know, we are hometown people that love people. And for them not to air a story of hope is absolute irresponsibility. But they would come to you for treatment. Oh, yeah. Some of their the news reporters. anchors would come here for treatment, you know, and, uh, you know, fine and dandy. And I realize it's not the news anchors call in order to air a story. So I want to put that in the right context. It is the administration behind these networks that's driving the bus. And oh, yeah. The know, word came from on high, for sure. Yeah, you know from, yes. from your experience better than I do. Yeah. Yes, I do. So you started speaking out about this, I'm sure. So talk about what happened when you started speaking out about it. I'm a naturopath, right? And in Oklahoma, um, naturopath here, we, you know, we, we're not licensed. We just kind of do our thing. And it's good because, you know, we provide nutritional advice. We're highly qualified to do that. 
but the the sticking point was my wife you know she's an osteopath and of course she has the powers that be that are breathing down her neck we work together we have a large staff and early on you know we had people calling us um colleagues saying we're responsible um we shouldn't be doing it this way we need to just get on board play the game do what we're told uh, we had the health department calling us because back in those days you remember you know they were trying to use the health department as a weapon to sort of cause businesses to close but we were always deemed quote unquote essential because we do provide care that is essential for life inclusive of hormone replacement therapy you know that's one of the things we do among many well the problem was at that point my wife you know and bless her sweetheart i mean she was concerned so i kind of took the lead role in that in a sense that i'm going to take the heat because what are you going to do with me you know really and i had law enforcement experience too so i was very confident knowing full well that if the law enforcement officers were told to disobey uh, the Constitution by enforcing an unlawful order, I was confident they would not do that. And so I had that back backing and even backbone, if you want to call it like that, just from my experience, I knew kind of where I could go, where I couldn't go. Where did the rubber meet the road? Did did they try and take away your wife's license? Did they come to your institute? Yeah. What did they do? It was all a bunch of talk. I suppose that probably our standing up, I like to believe, inspired other people to stand up. And it was a power of numbers, right? So basically nothing happened to us at all other than, you know, we we lost a few staff. We did because some of our staff were educated in that system and they were afraid to come back to work, you know, and can we work from home? Like, no, how do you see people from home, you know? And so we lost that. So we had to go through those growing pains um, and we had to deal with uh, colleagues criticizing and even some patients getting mad. You know, it was a minimal number. I'm honest, they did. It wasn't the, the, I mean, we're talking a very small percentage, but the interesting thing, and I want to point this out, that we had happen, and really nothing happened to our license. We just grew. We had people that wanted to be around people so much that they would come out here and sit in our lobby just to watch our videos and just to be around people and just to wow. get a hug. And it was, wow. it was so kind, you know, and I told people, I don't care if you have coronavirus or not. You know, I was very bold about this. If you want a mask-free, social distancing, violating hug, from one of us, you come down here and we'll do that for you. Because I understood the power of oxytocin, you know? It's it's what happens when a, a, a baby and a mom are together. There's that sense of contentment, love and peace. And when people go without that, man, they begin to die. And sure enough, you know, again, retrospectively, the lifespan of the average American decreased 2.5 years over the last two years. First time that's happened in decades. and. I attribute it back to um, irresponsible leadership from really all, and I'll call it for what it is, government, medicine, church, completely irresponsible leadership from those entities. And it hurt our nation and hurt these people that we call Americans. Now, why do you think they were irresponsible? Well, I think going from, uh, let's start with the government. The government's largest lobbyist, contributor is big pharma. So I think let's just leave that where it is. I think people understand that. Medicine, 
some of their biggest contributors to the education that they have, big pharma. Okay. And a big pharma source drives the buses to medias because the media is dependent upon their money to uh, float those commercials. Church, I think big church was put in bondage with the 501c3 to government. And therefore, they did not know that they had a constitutional, not right, but duty to disobey the order when the government said, church, you will shut down because the constitution is very clear. It does not say that church needs to stay out of government. It said government needs to stay out of church. And so they did not know their rules. And so you had pastors leading out with fear and that wasn't supposed to happen. We should have never shut our doors in that arena one day. I find it very interesting that you say, well, government, because they get a lot of money from big pharma, the Congress people and lobbyists and so on. And, and then you just moved on. And I, keep, and I keep thinking to myself when I hear things like that, that, you know, our taxpayers and our votes put those people in office. Why does that not count for anything? Why, why are there no laws that make it a crime for them not to represent us when we pay their salaries and not just not to represent us, but to create and mandate policies that, that kill us, that harm us? Yeah, so I think what's happened is it's, it's, um, it's a drift from truth. And the farther you drift from the point of truth, the farther you're away from truth. And truth becomes, you know, sort of out here. So I think what happened was, to, to kind of dive into those weeds right there, is the way we're supposed to be in our country is people-centric, not centralized power-centric. And what happens is the, the people and the states, let's talk about the Tenth Amendment, just as a general principle, they basically hold the trump card over the federal government. And analogy most people get is the states and the people are the parents and the federal government is intended to be the child, always smaller, always under the authority and the watching eye of, right? We flipped it around over the course of time. Congress has only 18 powers as noted in article one, section eight of the constitution. The president has less. And yet we've somehow or another put these people on pedestals to. Well, no, they've the arrogated, crime. they've arrogated to themselves those powers. I mean, they passed uh, George Bush. I mean, some yeah. of the executive orders he passed are, are just mind boggling. They passed yeah, totally. laws, laws that are illegal. And they then they did. become, you know, exe executive orders weren't meant to be oh, well, Congress, you're not going along with me. I'm going to sign this executive. That was never meant to be. And look at it now. And now yeah, everything is, is centralized. You're right. Tell people what the 10th Amendment is and why it's important for them to know what it is and what it has to do with states' rights over federal. Well, the 10th Amendment basically is a an amendment that dictates clearly the... Um, kind of the federalist form of government, like a checks and balances, when the powers that are not specifically narrowly enumerated to Congress are retained for the people and the states, respectively. And the states' rights and people's rights are broad 
broad and not very defined. But Congress's rights and powers are very narrow, as stated. So it is meant that you'll keep away from a centralized, power-filled, power-hungry, egotistical federal government, and you'll keep the powers down at the state level. So even down at the county level, the county sheriff could dictate around his boundaries of a county what goes on in that county. The governors can dictate what goes on in their state. So you could have these individual states with their individual preferences, the way they want to do government, as driven by the wishes of the people in our electoral system, right? And so different states would have different flavors. If you don't like this state, go to this state. And the government federally was just supposed to be kind of like a referee between the states, as it were. And so you know, that's why the Supreme Court was never supposed to be this big monstrosity this day. They were supposed to be a little bitty branch over here that sort of had maybe less power than even the executive or the legislative branches of federal government. And so, you know, what happened was over time that drift happened, and you mentioned the, uh, the voting situation. A lot of people have become disillusioned. And in our state, only about one in five of the Republican registered voters vote in even primaries. And so people's lack of participation has opened the door for big lobbyists and big money to begin to control things. And when you taste power, you taste fame, you taste love of money, it's hard to let that thing go. And now it's to the point where you have to be a multi-millionaire to even have a chance at elections and it's, it's not the founding father's intent whatsoever. Also, as a multimillionaire, you're getting certain tax breaks and things yes. that, that make your interest often, especially economic, inimical to those of middle class and, and poor folks. Talk about what powers during this COVID pandemic uh, has the federal government arrogated to itself that it has no business doing so given the 10th amendment. They do not have control over our health. That is not one of the powers of Congress. It's not one of the powers of the president and it's not one of the powers of the Supreme Court. Our health has always been our choice. It's always a choice that you and I can choose on one hand to take an aspirin or not. We can choose to lay at our house and die or we can choose to go to the hospital. We can choose to have French fries or we can choose to have a salad. We can choose to have a medication in our arm or we can choose not to. And the federal government became sort of in control of that. And here's how they do it. It's, it's so subtle, but it's so genius from an evil intent is they'll throw a bunch of money that they can't back, by the way. They'll print more money and throw that at the states to institute and do their biddings for them. So they're going to give the state this many you know, billions of dollars if you will do this. So it's almost like a grant or a loan. And the states are like, yeah, I'll take that. And when you do that, you become owned in sort of a bondage slavery position to the government and you begin to be their agents. And that is not the point. But why is that not illegal? It is against the constitution. But it also, if you think about this, if a governor, for example, we just use that position as a, as a point of discussion. If a governor, as the 
chief executive officer of the state, if he or she accepts that money and says, we're going to do this and legislatures go on it, we in effect have chosen, chosen by our 10th Amendment privilege to allow that to infiltrate our state. So it wouldn't necessarily be illegal. It would be sort of a unethical way that we flip the roles around where the federal government begins to control the parent or the child controls the parent. So it wouldn't necessarily be illegal, but it's highly unethical. But when you start killing people as a result of your oh. unethical process, who gets held accountable then? Yeah, and this is interesting because back in the Reagan administration, they took away vaccine immunity from the vaccine manufacturers and transferred that to the the, the government. Right. So, again, you got to think through and put the pieces together. If the government is being lobbied by big pharma and the government probably holds patents on vaccines and viruses, the whole they bit. do. Yeah. And then you think, how can they get their money out of the states more by getting more people vaccinated? And certainly when you look at this, I look at it as a big racketeering kind of an idea from my from my police officer brain. And they have a monopoly on people. And our duty, uh, again, it shouldn't be an option. When tyranny or overreach becomes the, uh, the practice of the land or the law, our duty and responsibility is to rebel as a people. And we forgot that so desperately, and we've kind of cowered down to it. And that's not okay anymore because we have lost so many rights shaved away one at a time now we're seeing people wake up and be like well they're going to give them back aren't they? no they're not going to give them back let's talk about how you got into politics because of this situation back in the spring of 2021 i you know i'm kind of a guy that has prided myself on the ability to learn anything and become pretty good at a lot of things you know, and, and I, I give God all the credit for that. I want to make sure that people understand that. And he's given me the ability to have a lot of um, bandwidth in my brain to be able to recall stuff. And um, I b became very frustrated in the spring going into summer of 2021. I was talking to my wife and I said, I'm just so frustrated with this mess. Frankly, at the time, I was like, politics, you guys are running this country. You know, it was like it was hitting me all of a sudden. This, like I've talked about in the last few minutes. And I went to my wife one day and I said, um, hey, sweetheart, I got something to, to tell you and talk to you about. And of course, her eyes got big, not knowing what that was. I'm serious, you know. And I said, I think I'm supposed to run for office. And, you know, to my surprise, she said, well, sweetheart, I'll support you in whatever you do. I'm like, OK, so we just kind of prayed about that for a month or so. And people kept coming back and saying randomly people I didn't know. They'd say, hey, you need to run for governor. You need this, you need that. And I'm thinking, you guys don't know me. Shut up. You know, I, I, <laughs> I haven't lost my mind yet. And then one day it hit me, that position based upon the Constitution, based upon my unique field of experience as it applies to the health of the human being, the sanity of the human being, and then the practicality of the human being, you know, knowing laws the way I do, that position is the right one to effect the most change. And when we elected to do this, it wasn't about winning and losing. It, that was not it. 
It was about being obedient to the call that God was putting on our lives. Will you do this? Will you step up? And we committed at that moment in time to do um, three things, basically. Number one, with every speech I gave, I was going to give God the glory. Bottom line. And I, and I, I did that 250 times. Um, number two, I was going to give honor to my wife because I thought those priorities need to be modeled. You know, God, family, God, family, spouse. So I'd give honor to my wife. And third was desiring to educate whoever would listen about these constitutional principles that have been lost in a muddied water, not taught in school, not even taught in law school, and certainly not taught in uh, law enforcement. Because but it's not them. just that they've been lost. They've been they've been co-opted. Yep. And now we're dealing with, as you say, a racketeering, a RICO situation, basically. Yep. And we're all captive to it. We okay. are. Yeah, and that's what we tried to communicate to people, that this is a bad deal. And we talked about the severity of it all. And, you know, even with us, you know, people were asking me, what's the answer? Well, you have to elect people and put them in the right spots. You have to know your rights and you have to vote. And this is key. You had to put your money, your actions where your mouth is. Let, in other words, let your actions match your faith. You say you have faith, do something about it. And so it was a challenge to people. And, and I feel good about what we were able to achieve. And what was that? Throughout the campaign and the race, the political arena, we traveled around the country. You know, I was speaking around with um, different various tours and things like that on these same type of fundamental issues. And then we spent uh, literally 11 months around the state of Oklahoma traveling around, you know, talking to people. And we were able to secure almost 50 thousand votes 50,000 how do you do that from a grassroots you know kind of situation and by the way we still work the whole time we were working in the daytime wow. driving at night um just we wanted to like like everybody we talked to we committed to doing this as well <clears throat> we want to look them in the eye and let them really understand that they we're the most important person in our life right now. And we realize that politicians and their grandiose, you know, too good to be approached, you know, egotistical, rich people. How can I look for an opportunity in another person? We want to be different. So we want to love people, look them in the eye, shake their hand, give them a hug if they want to one, and communicate those three principal truths we talked about. And, you know, this day, I mean, we still have, you know, it's pretty much daily, you know, somebody, when are you going to run again? When are you going to run again? I don't, I don't know. What was your status in the uh, voting? We got third in the uh, primary, which is great from a, a grassroots candidate who had zero political experience going yeah. for the highest office in the state of Oklahoma. And we were just 2000 votes out of second place. And so that was good. It wasn't about winning or losing as much as it was being true to the call in our life. So what happened after that? We've just continued to go on. You know, I have uh, committed to those um, people that I'm not going anywhere. I, surprisingly, uh, and this is recently, people might find this entertaining or enlightening. There's a lot of, there's a big movement out here for the uh, uh, American nationalists, you know, that moving people from uh, typical citizenship to a non-citizenship status. And 
I'm not in that yet. So I just want you to know that, right? But there's a big movement out there. And if they go that direction, there will be individual republics like the Republic of Texas, Republic of Oklahoma that are not tied to the um, government per se. And I've had people reach out to me uh, as recently as a few days ago and say, hey, you, you go down this pathway, we're going to select you as our governor of the Republic of Oklahoma. Wow. wow. So that was a big deal. I was very uh, humbled, of course. And again, that's a lot of thought, exploration, and a learning curve because there's a lot of things about that I don't know. Another thing you ran on was your three-point plan for addressing school shootings. Talk about that. When you look at the, let's use the Uvalde shooting as an example. And let's tie that back to the Columbine Jonesboro shootings that sort of started that trend, you know, three decades ago. Um, these cowards that commit these horrendous, murderous crimes, they're typically characterized in my law enforcement experience as people that are neglected, let out, made fun of, you know, not selected. They're, they're loners. They're just these people that don't fit into a group. And they're hurting souls that don't know how to deal with it. And so they're really suicidal turned homicidal is kind of what it is, right? And so they're always looking for what I would consider soft targets. They go in places of least resistance with the most potential to create as much damage as possible. And they want to go out with a blaze of glory and then we go down in history and being famous, right? And the media's got to know that, right? So we've got to secure the scenes at these schools like never before. And when I give my three-point plan, I put it in this brief context. I was in the nation of Israel back in the um, 90s. And I saw a soldier standing guard in front of a school with a big fence razor wire on top. And I asked him the question, hey, why do you, why are you here so heavily armed? This is a school. And he said these words to me, and I'm paraphrasing heavily based upon memory. He said, behind me is our future. No one's getting past me to destroy our country's future. These kids are our future. And, I, and it just, it impacted me so deeply. And I was in law enforcement at the time and on the SWAT team at the time. And so I remember that when I see what's happening now, it gave me insight to offer the three-point plan. Number one, you've got to have one way in that's highly surveilled. In other words, you've got to have cameras on that going in all directions in and out because you've got to be able to see what's coming so that you can even push a button if you see somebody walking from 200 yards away with an assault rifle. Push the button, close the gate. Highly surveilled one-way entrance. Caveat, you have emergency exits available if need be, but they remain closed. Number two, you have to have highly visible armed security where the bad guys, these cowards, see them. They have to see that because those guards like that is a deterrent. So you mark, put police cars out there with sirens. They don't have to have anybody in them. Just park them there, right? But have visible security there, number two. Number three, you have signs around the perimeter of that fence and the school that say something like this. Be advised, some personnel on these premises will be armed. And you do not say who those persons are. If any, one, two, three approach. When you do that, these cowards will go somewhere else or not at all because you will stop them in their tracks because they don't want to be challenged. 
when they get challenged, they usually put a gun to their head and in their own life. Again, that's what cowards do. There are several things that run through my mind when I hear what you're saying. One is how far has our society fallen that we have children like this who do things like this? And I know also now, and this has been going on for years, a lot of schools in poorer districts already have and have had metal detectors yep. forever and a day. And I remember visiting one of those schools and thinking, this is horrible because yep. everybody is being treated like a potential criminal. And these are, these are children. And somehow I find that heartbreaking. And the other thing that runs through my mind is I have not seen, I have not seen any real efforts and you're a functional medicine guy, you'll understand this, mm -hmm. to get at the root of the problem. And I will say one thing that has deeply troubled me about this because I have looked into these shooters. I have a very close friend who is an investigative reporter. Her name is Kelly O'Meara, who has written a book about it and continues to do very deep research. She was the first one to connect these antidepressant drugs to yep. most of the school shooters. And I will tell you the lack of transparency, not only about these children and their backgrounds and what happened and their mental health history is not transparent at all. Lots of cover-up has been going on for each of these instances. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I, one of the things I think if you're going to get to the root of a problem, you have to understand the problem. And guess what? People are being prevented from getting to that problem. And one of the things that I was thinking, because for example, with Sandy Hook, Adam Lanza's mental health history after a certain point, black, black hole and his shrink was a guy who lost his license for having sex with his patients, destroyed all his records, including Lanza's, went to New Zealand and nobody ever tried to get him. Mm. Lanza, a fr my friend, by the way, reviewed the police report, 6,700 pages. She read it three times, heavily redacted. He why? Why? Why is it redacted? heavily redacted, about 70% redacted. People don't know that that rifle that killed his mother does not have his DNA or fingerprints on it. Mm. And other ballistics mm. evidence, I could go on forever. But my point to you is we have to get a grip first on what exactly is going on with these school shooters. And I feel like the governor of the state or somebody should say, you know what, all these law enforcement entities that have skin in the game because they might have something they want to cover up, they can, they have to be attended by a, 
a, an ex, a group of experts, law enforcement, whatever, who also have complete access to everything because yep. something weird is going on. Right now, the toxicology report for this guy, the Uvalde kid, yep. is taking two months. Yeah. Why? Now, I'm with you. There's a couple things there that are worthy of discussion. You, you mentioned the first part of the question, like, um, what's the root of it? So, I mean, I understand this from a functional medicine capacity and also a um, police officer capacity, because I dealt with that way back when we used to have a program called community-oriented policing, and all it was about is determine the root causes of crime so you could prevent that upstream. So I do the same thing now in my business. So this is why we're uniquely qualified. So I saw the deterioration of the family structure. I saw manhood, malehood go away. And you're seeing that more today. These young men, young women have no male role models. And I'm not knocking ladies. We need ladies. Well, the school shooters are, are all male. Yeah. And so they had no male role figures and then all of a sudden you also see and this is a little known aspect that no one wants to talk about the food pyramid way back when instigated the consumption of these high grains right remember that eight to ten servings or six to eleven servings of breads and grains the government subsidizes those things they genetically modify those things those things are depleted of nutrients and full of anti-nutrients. Two neurotransmitters are very important for reward and antidepressant qualities. Dopamine, serotonin respectively. We've all heard of those. Well, school lunches now are full of these anti-nutrients. Society is told to eat anti-nutrients. Government subsidizes them so they're cheaper. They have no vital essential vitamins minerals amino acids fatty acids in them so therefore we don't get the formation chemically speaking in our body of serotonin and dopamine so therefore you're going to see depression increase in kids when dopamine runs low you'll see them inability to sit still add so we've got to have a drug for that when serotonin runs low they're depressed so we got to have a drug for that when you start messing with these neuropsychotic drugs, it creates imbalances in an already imbalanced situation. So no one wants to talk about nutrition, right? We continue to feed them. No one wants to talk about nutrition. No one wants to talk about the antidepressants. As a matter of fact, yep. a UK study was just came out talking about how there is no such thing as a serotonin deficiency in the brain causing Bingo. depression. And right. so these drugs, Dr. Peter Bregan had said, when you don't have a serotonin problem and you give somebody serotonin, your brain reacts like, oh my God, oh my God, yep. what is this? I have to fix this. And that's what creates the numbness that keeps them numb until they become suicidal or homicidal or whatever. A lot of people do maintain that numb status. So yep. there were people, there were other physicians responding to the study. They go, oh, well, that may be true, but people should not stop taking their meds. We're driven by a pharmaceutical driven society, aren't we? Pill for an ill, you go to the doctor. And remember, 
physician's education from the conventional medical system driven by pharmaceutical money. Yes, yes. And so you have this system built in, government, pharma, education, government, pharma, education. So people become the victim of that. And we see it all the time in our practice. People come to us and they want to get off these drugs. And we help them by doing exactly what I just said. It's very dangerous doing that. Yeah. However, I tell them never go cold turkey because if you do, that creates a worse problem. But I can't tell you how many people come to me and they're, they're just so screwed up in their brain because of the, the doctors keep coming up with different combinations, trying to get it right, you know? Well, it's not getting it right. And then you could all that cascade in society and now, and I think you couple this too with the idea of we have glorified um, murder by making video games that can kill. Oh yeah, yes. That. Um, we've we are regressed to a place where, unfortunately, and it breaks my heart that we have to talk about how to guard the schools. I mean, my God, what kind of world are we in? But we are there, and so we have to guard the schools. And you're right, we have to go back upstream and and dig deep there are lots of other things i could send you my notes from yeah. the report that she reviewed and it's so crazy i mean they have eyewitnesses for column i believe it was columbine who saw what they say were other shooters there's a lot of questions and my my only point here is uh, if you want to know what's up you've got to be able to have all the information available on all these cases so anybody for sandy hook columbine this this current situation is yeah. so bizarre if i don't know if you've seen the footage of the hallway footage of the school now you've got you they have hallway footage of the kid going up to the door yeah there's another little kid looking at him from around the corner he shoots the door at the door and walks in the door and you have all these accounts about oh this one's looking for a key you know we've been we're looking for a key we can't go in you know all, all these stories that do not match up with what the video is clearly showing the kid shot that door and he went in yeah i spent about um 15 minutes on a national news network recently uh, breaking that footage down pointing out some of those things and how that was uh, counter to SWAT team tactical training standards. And you're right, I'm also a trained investigator. And when you're an investigator, whether it be an investigative reporter or investigative law enforcement or investigative, you know, nutritional medical person, I want all the information. Right. I want all of it, and it may be relevant, it may not, but I want to have it all laid on the a table so that I can begin to put the pieces together to figure out, A, what happened, B, what we're doing, and C, what we're going to do next. And I want to know all those things. And so, you know, we've got to flip around our brain and, you know, like broadcasts like yours, share them generously with everybody and communicate truth and say, did you know, and take the time to listen, read. It is hard to know what the entire deal is until yep. you, I understand, yes, first you have to have a protective, a more protective situation going on in these schools, for sure. But then this very deep, in-depth investigation of what's going on 
because the other thing, I'm sorry, I have a suspicious mind now because I've been an investigative reporter for 40 yeah. years. You know, I'm older than dirt and I've seen stuff. Uh, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, when these things happen, the anti-gun lobby comes, and I'm not political one way or the other, pro-gun, against gun, whatever, but I notice that political agendas are triggered and and favorable environments created when these things occur okay yeah. so yeah. i'm suspicious i'm sorry i'm suspicious don't apologize for your suspicion because you know just a very brief thing on the second amendment the second amendment is the only amendment that within the amendment talks about why we had the amendment and it's for the security of a, of a free state. <laughs> That's what we have it. And so the free state is what we're talking about maintaining. And, you know, there is an agenda driven behind all this. It's not just gun control. It's also control of children's mental health from, Absolutely. from day one in school, you know, take trying to take the decision making away from parents yep. and giving it to so-called professionals in the schools. I find that kind of terrifying. So it is. It big questions are raised. And talking about pharmaceuticals, yep. I do want to go back to the World Health Organization treaty that you particularly are unhappy about. I want yep. you to talk about that and what you think should be done. Well, first and foremost, the president does have of the United States does have the powers to negotiate treaties. But as per Article two, Section two of the United States Constitution, that treaty has to be approved by a two thirds vote of the Senate. OK, so let's understand that's the rules of the engagement. So if we as the states did not give Congress slash federal government the power to negotiate our health, Every treaty that's negotiated regarding that is unconstitutional because it's an unconstitutional power that we did not give them. We did not give it to them. So I've said this from the beginning. I don't give a rip what President Biden does with the who. And I use that term president loosely because of what I'm seeing right now. The state and the people in those states and the sheriffs within those counties within those states can look at the who and say who do you think you are get out now you have no business no authority in our states and if the people understand that the constitution as for the 10th amendment protects against that tyrannical overreach from our country or even global tyrannical overreach when we get that there is no way no how no count where the WHO and this treaty has any relevance or bite to it with the states, if the states don't agree. Now, you're going to see little liberal states out there. They, they will because they'll want to take the money back to our money agenda, and they'll want to follow through. But I'm encouraging people to stand up, speak up, and hold the line because these globalists, this agenda that we see happening is more centralization of power, leading to control, leading to tyranny, leading to bondage. So you're a law enforcement guy. Mm -hmm. I want you to talk about the laws that you think have been broken 
on a national and state level connected to the COVID pandemic, the policies and the vaccines? I think that it is unconstitutional and probably unlawful to make somebody put something in their body against their will. That's number one. I think it is unlawful for any law enforcement officer to um, follow an order or a law that says churches must close, finding those churches, arresting those pastors. I believe that's completely and totally unconstitutional and unlawful. And anything that flows from that is like fruit of the poisonous tree. And so that whole idea of what is talked about is is very clear. People need to learn to use that one word, no, with more power and more emphasis as a group of people. And this is a very important point. When the government gets their power over people and the people fear the government or fear law enforcement or fear that kind of tyrannical thing, that is called by definition tyranny. But on the other hand, when the government or these entities begin to fear the people rising up, that is called freedom. And we have got to get our act together right now to stand against those things. And for example, every church that's listening to this, every pastor, every leader, anybody in church that hears this, hear me clearly, no matter what happens, do not close. Do not shut your doors under any order from any government because that is unlawful. They have no business doing that. A lot of people have been have gotten themselves vaccinated because their companies have ordered it. Yep. Uh, certainly in hospitals and other all mental medical uh, medical offices and hospitals whatever, anybody in the medical yep. field has had to do that. Uh, in the military, and Lord knows, they had they went through that anthrax vaccine situation yep. uh, where a lot of them got permanently, were permanently disabled because of that. So uh, what is it going to take? What is it going to take? I'm serious, like from where yeah. we're sitting right now, what is it going to take to change this? Well, certainly you're right. No vaccine should be required for healthcare, employment, or education. Uh, that's just completely barbaric in its very concept. This is what it's gonna take. It's gonna take us as people that understand the constitution, understand the founding fathers, the Federalist Papers, which I know you're very familiar with, um, willing to stand up, even to the point of revolution, even to the point of a civil war kind of concept. We have to be prepared to fight back and we cannot roll over anymore. It, it's gonna be a mindset where we gotta get this, I'm going to die on this hill. And it can't be just a few hundred people. This has gotta be millions of people. And we have to begin to connect. Not that you want to go to that direction, not that you wanna go that far with it, but you have to be willing to because, and I'm pleading with people, if we're not willing to do that, why are we so naive 
to believe that we're going to have any future behind us because we're not. We are past the point where Reagan talked about we're one generation away from losing our freedom. Freedom is not passed down through birth. It's not passed down through hereditary. It's not passed down through blood. It's passed down through verbal teaching people things that we have to have. It's passed down through a tradition of honor and character and courage and willing to die on a hill. And that's what it's going to take. I mean, I'm not calling for people to go take up arms and charge and, you know, go in anything. But we had to be prepared to do that. And frankly, it's got to start from the family level, the local level, the state level. Now, anybody listening right now, you got to make that commitment to yourself right now, sir, ma'am, protect your family right now. Schools, you know, parents, education's in your hands. You dictate what your kids get um, fed into their head, their hearts, their bodies. Say no, period, end of story. Working in a healthcare field, somebody tells you to take a vaccine, you tell them where to go if you don't want to do that. Even if you lose your job, God's going to provide something bigger. When you're out there and you seek care, medical care, you stay there until you get it because they're going to give you medical care. That's an unconstitutional uh, thing that they cannot do. They can't refuse you medical care because you didn't get vaccinated. That's ridiculous. So these are the ways we've got to push back with a vengeance, with a passion, that is unsurpassed at this point in time in our history. So where is Oklahoma on this scale, do you think? I think Oklahoma has a chance, maybe, to be the best last hope of this idea of a republic the way we know it. I think around us, Texas is turning blue quickly. You know, you got Arkansas that's kind of confused, Missouri that's on the edge, and Kansas that's kind of waiting and then Colorado that's kind of lost, right? So you see a squeeze, you know, if you look at it from the East Coast, West Coast, it's squeezing in, squeezing in. And I think Oklahoma has a chance to hold on to it, but it's fading fast. Florida has a chance to hold on to it, but it's fading fast. And it's not going to be um, led by our current politicians because they are bought and paid for and their positions are compromised. It's got to be led by the people. So if you're in a small community, for example, or a city, and you're you're told to lock down in City A or Tulsa, Oklahoma, you cannot do it. No, you will not shut your businesses. You will not stop going together. You won't do it. And the sheer mass of that will overwhelm any resistance you get. We have to do that from city to city to county to county, family to family. And I'm hoping this movement spreads around the whole United States of America because our future is dependent upon it. What about this whole breakaway civilization of billionaires, maybe even trillionaires, who have have shaped this current situation? I, I've yeah. said years ago, I said, oh, there's there's a there's a move here to get rid of nation states. You're, yes. you're actually talking about turning your state into its own nation. So there's this over global movement, you know, the one world government and so on. Is there no, you just have to address it from your local situation, your local action. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think we have to. I think it's the only answer because it goes back to the 
um, the premise of the 13 original colonies, you know, or kind of their own little nations, if you will, kind of have this loose relationship. That's why it should be called these United States. Back then it was kind of these United Colonies and they, they stood up together as individuals, but also corporately by signing the Declaration of Independence from a tyrannical, overreaching, over-controlling entity. And we're right in that place right now. And keep in mind, there were 56 people that signed the Declaration of Independence. It just takes a, full, a small number of people who have a vision and a dream to cause that thing to be contagious and go across this country. And I am talking about forming, again, our intent, individual sovereign states, but we want to put all of our lock, stock, and barrel on thinking the federal government is going to fix it. They're not. They're not equipped to fix it. They're not supposed to fix it. It's supposed to be corrected here because you're right. The globalist elitist are trying to form that one world government, one world currency, one world economy, and one world centralized power to tell every single nation what to do. And they're well on their way, except for a few people in these United States of America that are holding out. And the world is watching. What is America going to do when you talk about Klaus Schwab and Yuval Noah Harari and Bill Gates and, you know, even Elon Musk and all these people that want to have control over everything? What's America going to do? And Americans have to decide as an individual family what we're going to do. And I'm hoping we choose right. How many people do you think share your view? I think millions do, but I think they're disconnected. They're disconnected because the media that we've depended on to be, you know, freedom of the press, the whole bit has become so biased. The freedom of the press was supposed to hold people accountable. Well, you said this, and you said this and information for the people. It ain't like that anymore. They're bought and paid for. We have to use these shows like this and come up with different networks of communication and sharing news and sharing information so that the group can bond together. I believe across this great country, there may be a hundred million people that believe in that way, but it's not going to take them all to, to really openly do that. I think we could do it with several million, maybe even a tenth of that. Because our country is so powerful that no other country will consider invading here. You know why? Because there's people that believe as we do. They still have their guns. They still have their courage. They still have their honor. And that's what kept Japan from coming into our country years ago, right? This thing I'm talking about, there's still hope. But I just believe we've got to hang on to hope by spreading the message in a very unique, sustained Well, this is an enemy from within, too. Totally. Yeah, you know, I think that no other country is going to ever destroy America from the outside in, but America will be destroyed, and it is being destroyed right now from the inside out, based upon, you're right, this enemy within that's controlled by money, uh, people that are ignorant and controlled by bondage of the money, and we, we have got to be strong in the sense of those of us that are hanging on to the principles which gave us the freedoms we have. I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been fascinating talking to you, and um, I guess we'll just stay tuned. <laughs>
Right. Well, I appreciate you. This has been amazing and great conversation. You do an outstanding job. And uh, certainly I'm grateful and honored to be a part of your program. Thank you very much.